There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Owen and Murphy are ready to react to Ireland's Euro 2016 draw against Sweden, Belgium, Italy. It's Monday's Irish Time Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hello there, Owensy. Hi, Karen. How are you? I'm good. Don't use the term Owensy on, on air again, ever again, please. <laughs> thank you. Most of the reaction. Kiersey all the time. It slips out sometimes. Okay. Our mutual affection, Murph, just sometimes, despite our best efforts, sometimes yeah, uh, slips in our informal interactions, <laughs> social interactions. With let's, let's just try and keep it with <laughs> yeah. okay. Most of the reaction the last two days has surrounded the array of world-class attacking superstars we're going to have to face. Mm. Your Eden Hazards, your Zlatans, to use football speak. There's only one of each of those guys. Your Lukaku's, again, just one Lukaku. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about. I'm more worried, though. I've just thought about this in the last 20 minutes or so, so bear with me if it's only a half-formed thought. Okay, well. About the men at the other end. The men who stand between big Johnny Walters and a four to six goal salvo mm. in the group stage. Okay. The goalkeepers, Murph. Okay. The much ignored, often underappreciated goalkeepers. Italy, this is a disaster if you look at it this way. Italy have Gianluigi Buffon. Okay. Best keeper in the world for two decades now. Yep. Playing professionally since 1991. No signs of his powers diminishing as far as I can see. Six Serie A titles with Juventus. A Serie B championship because, of course, he showed what he's made of by staying with them when they yeah. were demoted. A man of honour. A man of honour. Nine times he's been named the Serie A goalkeeper of the year. How many times do you think he's played for Italy? Uh, I'm going to say 150 times. Oof, great guess. 154 ah. times. One of which was a successful World Cup final. <laughs> and he was also You named... know me, though, and I'm always very good at guessing. You are good yeah. at those weird guesses. You're great at, you know, counting the amount of sweets in a jar and you win the jar mm. at, at, at bazaars back in the day. Well, I don't know what, we, call, we call them bazaars in Dublin, but I don't know what you would call them. But... That's more of a hustle that I've got going on. Oh, and I'd rather you didn't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> you made a fortune worth going of sweets in ta- those ta- Bazaar to bazaar. You've won a few goldfish as well by throwing <laughs> the. I'm sure that can't be done anymore. Can't no. actually win goldfish at these things. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he was also named, obviously, as the goalkeeper of the tournament in that world. Look, we know about Buffon. Don't have to talk too much about him. Belgium yeah. have a fine strapping lad of a goalkeeper called Thiabo uh, Courtois. You yeah. might have heard of him. The yeah. I'm going to say possibly, the, well, undoubtedly the successor to Buffon is the best goalkeeper in the world. Yeah. He's absolutely so you're saying amazing. Buffon's on the slide. Okay, good. Well, yeah. maybe, yeah. That could yeah, be he's on the slide. So, yeah. so I had a look at it. I'm sure Sweden have some raw and experienced rookie in their midst there. Their goalkeeper, maybe only 10, 15 caps, which wouldn't be much for an international goalkeeper. Mm. Thomas Ravelli. Thomas Ravelli is not playing. No, okay. uh, but Andreas Isaacson has been, according to one of the previews of the tournament, has been Sweden's clear number one goalkeeper for more than a decade, having earned 127 caps since making his debut in the World Cup in 2010. Oh, sorry, making the deb- his debut in 2002. Hmm. This makes me more concerned, Murph. Too many good goalkeepers in our way. Yeah, goalkeepers, you know. I'm, no, I'm not buying it. Well, you're just bullish full stop. You're, yeah, you've got I'm, this weird sense of unashamed optimism today. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where it's coming from. But I mean, I would never say if, if you gave me the choice between having if, if a team only had one world class player and if you gave me the choice between them having a world class goalkeeper and a world class striker, I would say give me the world class goalkeeper 
every day of the week. Yeah, well, Belgium have a world-class goalkeeper and a world-class striker in Lukaku. I'd say he's at world-class now. Ah, oh, come nah, Nah. No, he's not. One of the quickest... The, is he the quickest ever to 50 goals in the Premier League? Certainly one of the two or three quickest ever to he's that He's like uh, one of seven players. I'm, I'm, I'm going to count Hazard as a striker for the purposes of this. And Hazard is proper exactly midfield class. playmaker. So I think Lukaku ha- is is getting there, but I mean world class. I mean this is a pretty nebulous argument. Anyway. The uh, whole yeah, yeah. World class, I'll give you I'll give you Italy. Buffon, clearly, they don't have a world class striker, mm-hmm. um, but Sweden certainly do. Yes, and I'm not going to describe Isaacson as a world class goalkeeper, but they've got Zlatan in there. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm worried whatever way I look at it. Uh, yeah, I soothe mean, my fears. I just wouldn't be getting too hung up about goalkeepers on. I think Forget about know, the goalkeepers. That was just for the purposes of the introduction to the show. <laughs> I wanted to talk about something that maybe I thought people hadn't heard yet. Okay, well, I was trying to find something new to say about the Euro 2016 draw. Well, that, well that's fine. I mean, I, mean uh, I don't think me saying that uh, this isn't the worst group in the world, that's not new either. I don't think no. anyone's... I don't think there's pe- there are people... There's the uh, sound of wailing and gnashing of teeth is general around the four corners of the island. I, I, I don't think that that's the case. I think... Yeah, I, I think there's game, the, the Sweden game is winnable. Therefore, this is a group that we can possibly qualify from. It just sounds all about Euro 2012, doesn't it? The Swedish game is winnable. The Croatia game is supposed to be winnable as well. Mm. But I would say this. this is, and this is definitely hindsight talking. But Croatia were a technically brilliant team. And that was bad news for us. Mm. We didn't see that coming. We just thought they may not like it up them. That was basically what we thought going into the Croatia game. Hope that, yeah. Sweden are they're not by miles technically better than us. No. They're actually the same as us, only with Zlatan. Which means that I think that's a fairer fight for us than Croatia was in the first game. And Croatia are just a better team anyway. But there's also like the style of play, which I think is more suited to us. The, the 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 style of play that Sweden plays is much more suited to us than any of the like technically brilliant teams that we could have gotten. Technically brilliant, but maybe you know fragile teams that we could have gotten top three. Sure, but I don't. Yeah, I don't really think so. I think Sweden are as bad as uh, any team that has Latin, any team that has one super. You saw what Lewandowski did to us in the away leg, uh, in our away leg against. And now he was fairly ineffectual against us at home. So maybe I shouldn't be too worried about this. But I do get the sense that a team with a player of that stature tends to panic our defence because we just don't have the level of player to ne- to necessarily deal with Slatan. nobody does mm. in fairness if Slatan's playing particularly well but certainly I'm, I'm basing a lot of this on the away game against Poland I just felt that because Lewandowski was there it just seemed to his presence his movement seemed to panic us quite a lot and Slatan has everything that Lewandowski has and probably a little bit more which certainly is what in we're the presence me. area yeah I mean if if, if, if we're getting uh, spooked by Lewandowski when he's not even on the ball. I'm pretty sure Zlatan's going to be speaking a lot, just by dint of the power of the charisma of the man. Yeah. No, you're not going to shake me on this one, though. And I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling bullish. The, we're going to get Ken's thoughts. We have got Ken's thoughts, actually. They're contained in our other podcast, because Ken is over in Las Vegas at the moment, just travelling back today. It was mostly Conor McGregor chat, obviously, from Vegas, but we asked a little bit about, the, about his reaction. Em Malone's going to be in studio in a minute to chat about it too. Jurgen Klopp though, Murph, we'll get to Jurgen a little bit later on with Tony Barrett. He has gone full Pillar Caffrey mm. yesterday against West Brom. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> deciding on, you know, Saturday of all days to begin, uh, you know, the new tradition, which is that they would all walk arm in arm to the cop mm. and do a hands raised three or four times sort of celebration. After a draw. Last minute draw at home to West Brom. I'm just, I kind of think if you're going to start a tradition, maybe you should start it from a position of strength where, right, this is what we do now. You know, it's signifying the bond between players and fans. Mm. I would do that, you know, I would like he didn't start, bring it in for his first home game, for his first game in charge of Liverpool. So deciding to do it now, whatever it is, eight or nine games in, on the back of a really rather uninspiring result. I also don't know how closely he's... Actually, because clearly he is going for the Dublin of the mm. mid noughties That's the only kind of thing he's trying to recreate here. He has to understand how to do it before the game. There's no yeah. point communing with the fans after the result has been decided. That's not going to give you any positive energy bouncing off the yeah, famous cell so stand. Commune your way off the pitch and the fans commune their way out back into the 
uh, back into the city night. I mean, yeah, it doesn't really make a whole lot of pile of sense to me. We'll get Tony on that, but Emmett was in Paris for the Irish Times and has just returned. Emmett, you're very welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be here. I suppose, I, I often think the way to judge these draws, or one way to judge these draws is by the reaction of the rival managers and yeah. just what exactly they're thinking. What was the general mm. I, I, I think a nice way of putting it would be that they were putting a brave face on it, yeah? Uh, they seemed, uh, <laughs> they, 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 they seemed to be, uh, you know, just about coping with having Ireland in their group, accentuating the positives. Yeah, I think that I think that's it. And the positives were that they're going to beat us. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's that was the key positive. This um, well, there was this mistake that Conte made apparently. Antonio Conte. Well, uh, do you know what? It, to you know, be this honest, might have been a translator's yeah, issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when when, 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 when you're there, like you're, you're standing with a with, with one of those kind of uh, it sets of earphones on, and uh, so you can't really see the hear the original. I mean, it would be obvious enough uh, sure. even in Italian, which he was saying, but but you're just listening to the translation, so I couldn't really hear. So we, none of us were okay. quite sure whether whether it was translator making a mistake or the manager who thought that yeah, you're playing Northern Ireland. Yeah, you yeah. really want to grasp onto that. Well, we, we can be pretty sure the Belgian were the most confident and the most outwardly confident it seems everybody yeah, there the thinks they're, they're going to yeah, win yeah, the whole yeah, thing yeah, yeah. I, I mean look there's, a, there's an element of you know I, I, I feel like a little bit of a hypocrite here because on the one hand you know you complain when everything is really bland and you know everyone's <laughs> going oh they're being so careful and oh all the teams deserve a lot of respect and you know we'll take it one game at a time and you, you want to kind of shoot yourself in a mix zone you know <laughs> but at the same time then you can't quite believe it when uh, when Mark Wilmot, who wasn't there because his stepfather had died, he's at a funeral, but, but you know, uh, somebody from UEFA or, or Lekeep, I think, maybe got him uh, on the phone. And, uh, and he's just going like, you know, well, Ireland we should beat and Sweden we should beat. And uh, so it's, it's down to ourselves in Italy. And the president of their federation is talking about the way being open to the, to the cup, you know. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, Belgium, Belgium are entitled to consider themselves amongst the, the, the contenders, certainly, possibly the favourites. They have so many talented players. Uh, I think the feeling was always before the Brazil World Cup that it was a little too early for them. They needed the tournament experience. So they come here having had that experience. And I know, right, you know, a mixed World Cup. Uh, the players have all, have all come on a year at their clubs, you know, by and large, a young side. De Bruyne, uh, Hazard lost his form, but, you know, who knows what will happen by next summer. Uh, Lukaku is probably a better player than he was 12 months ago. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, it is kind of there for them, potentially. But, uh, but you don't know, just go into a mix zone and go, hey, Ireland, Sweden, we're going to win the thing. Well, I mean, it's, it, I, I, when I saw that, I was like, well, these guys are not as used to going into a tournament as one of the favourites as right. France, Germany... Yeah. You know, uh, so Italy. they don't play the game quite as well. Well, just that they, they can't hide, I mean, they maybe. can't hide the obvious pleasure that they have in, in drawing us. Yeah, okay, maybe. The and, and there's a charm to that. There's a, you know, yeah, there's a, there is, as I say, you know, it was kind of off. entertaining. You kind of go, God, is this guy really saying this? Because, you know, uh, but look, you know, uh, they, they, did seem, they did seem quite confident. But, you know, even in, in uh, you look, I mean, the bottom line is you would have to say that the Italians and, and, and the Belgians here are the favourites to progress, you know. And uh, from an Irish point of view, there's more than a hint of 2012 about it. We have our most winnable game first. And, you know, you could see it's a scenario whereby if we get beaten in that, then we're chasing things in the, in the next two games. And that leaves us open to being beaten by better sides. Uh, obviously, the, the, the fact that there's some fourth place teams go through this time makes it a little, you know, um, less kind of you know uh, make or break yeah. uh, but um, but at the same time yeah I, I, like the Belgians really really you know left themselves open to some uh, to some motivational uh, pre-match uh, addresses by managers in dressing rooms Myself and Murph watched the draw together and well, sir, I think both of us reacted in um, uh, horror almost as it was unfolding certainly once Italy were thrown in there we thought this looks pretty rough after that I don't know what happened to Kieran I think he must have been watching some of his old Italian 90 mm. VHS tapes no, something like that this. because he's coming today pretty bullish about oh, our chances it's all Excellent. turned around oh, that's good. well I think that uh, the, the point about the, the it being the first game Sweden being the first yeah. game the most winnable game that's you know that's one of these things where that's a really really good for us if we go and win it, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it, it no, is kind absolutely. of a double They're all very good for us if we win them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but at the same time, I think that I think that having that game first, I mean, in Paris, yeah. uh, where we're going to have a... Obviously, that's going to be like a huge, huge yeah. carnival of uh, uh, Irish fans and all the rest. And I, I just kind of think that's not that's not bad. I think that's that's a pretty good result for us. And if you get three points in these groups, by the time we get it, get to Italy in the last game, who knows, maybe Italy will have qualified already. <laughs> I, I think you can construct yeah, an argument. Okay, you, know, you can construct an argument. And I think it's an argument that was, you know, um, 
constructable in yeah. uh, in Poland as well. But but what we saw unfold instead was the counter argument, which is that you know if you lose that game and you're chasing things, you're in trouble. And the Italians, you know, they're a good tournament side. They're they're not a great Italian team at the moment, but there's you know quite a few experienced players. Maybe struggle a little bit for goals up front. You know, there's some flaws there that hopefully we we will exploit. But at the same time, you kind of fancy them to get whatever they need from a, mm. from a game uh, if they're up against it. And and they beat us pretty well in Poland. We, 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 you know, so um, yeah, I, I I think the like the order of the games, the order of the games in Poland was was terrible. I thought you know I, I really did think from the outset that we we we, we were potentially going to have problems there because uh, Spain were always going to beat us regardless. Um, I don't think Belgium. I could be wrong. We could be sitting here in in mm. in eight months talking about. Um, uh, Belgium having won the tournament having been absolutely magnificent I, I think they flattered by being world number ones which Spain weren't at the time um, they, uh, they're they certainly a top ranked team but I actually kind of thought they might be one of the better teams to get because I think they are, you know, on their day they're a terrific team on their off days they're not so great I mean they lost to Wales uh, in the qualifiers they dropped points to a couple of other teams uh, to Wales at home I think as well I think Wales took four points on them and, yeah. and, and Wales I'm, you know it's still still hard to be overawed by Wales I know they have a couple yeah. of couple of kind of players of the level that we don't have but uh, as a group you know not, not exceptional And what I would say about Belgium as the pot one team to get mm. I would rather have gotten uh, I'd rather have avoided Germany Spain and France so you're immediately into the bottom half of yeah. the teams in pot one that you could get. Yeah, probably. I'm not sure about France. I mean, I saw France a couple of times at the World Cup and they were very ordinary. Now, obviously, they're going to be at home and that will make a difference and, you know, it should make a difference. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they're ordinary in, 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 in some areas. So I, I, I don't know about them. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. Certainly Germany. I mean, you know, you look at Germany and, and, and we've, we've, we've taken four points in them, which is absolutely staggering. Yeah. But, um, but you suspect that, you know, we beat them. There's only so much we exactly. can push our luck. Yeah, yeah. I, th- like, I think, yeah. You, you know, it's one of those things things like you played them a hundred times and we beat them once and we've done that so, uh, <laughs> so, so so let's not push our luck on it you know I was looking at your uh, quick sort of pen, not so much pen picks but yeah. short profiles of the teams you're playing against and you named Gianluigi Buffon as Italy's star player uh, uh, or, well, or did you know? I haven't maybe that, this wasn't you I haven't, I haven't read that back but may, maybe it was maybe James an star player I think I was saying uh, uh, no I don't, uh, I'm not okay it could be yeah I've got a, maybe I've no 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 no, no. It, it could be that some some enterprising sub editor <laughs> has, uh, has uh, I'm sure he's I was talking to him in the pub a couple extent, of months ago yeah, yeah. Has, has built on the extent of my yeah. commitment I did say that that uh, that he's still there and and sort of anchoring a very solid and experienced okay okay yeah well and that seems to be the issue for Italy I mean we're hoping Italy didn't lose any games in the no. Euros. And they scored in every one. Yeah, but they the, score a whole lot the, of the optimists that Kira Murphy's out there mm. are thinking, well, Italy, you know, yeah. are they all there? Are they all that? Are they as good as they used to be? Probably not. Well, definitely no. not. No. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're they're not going to turn it on for a tournament again. They can no, be sure. they can be terrible or brilliant in tournaments. As yeah. Ken was making this point. In his I, piece. I, I think Conte is uh, has has been really clinging, and, and, and you know, he, he he certainly alluded to it on Saturday night that they're an improving team. You know that uh, things were. Things were poor at the start of the campaign. They started off with a, with a good win in in uh, in Norway, uh, but the work you know they didn't manage to beat Croatia home or away. They scored in every game, but didn't score a lot of goals, even against the weaker teams. And Pele has kind of become their main man up front. Uh, came in halfway through the campaign, got his chance, has done well, scored three goals. Um, but that three goals, their top scorer, you know, mm. uh, at the end of a campaign, which is which is not great for an Italian side. But they are a good tournament side. I think they've been improving. Conte's playing an uncharacteristically, you know, by Italian characteristics, national characteristics, and uh, you know, um, uh, an uncharacteristically attacking side in, in an attempt to generate goals, and based on the fact that they are very solid in defence. But but you know, they conceded a few as well. So you know, it's going to be interesting about Italy. I think it could kind of go either way for them. But you know, we didn't probably expect an enormous amount from them. Um, uh, four years ago, and, and and then they surprised us. Yeah, and I think you know the, the root of all optimism here is that the third place, a lot of third place teams are going to get through. You know, the more third place teams are going to get through to the, to yeah. the quarterfinals than aren't. Yeah. So I mean, what you're talking about is one really top class performance by us, along the lines yeah. of what we've seen in our last four games yeah, in qualifying. No, you know, and, absolutely. And as I, I, I that, think that, that is will, the thing. Like you know, I uh, look. I mean, I think that uh, I think there was some unfair criticism of Trapattoni and what he achieved with the group of players that he had but what Trapattoni did was you know he after a, a turbulent period under under Staunton he made it hard to beat again you know and uh, and his, his success was largely based on on our on our uh, uh, on, on how difficult we had become to 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 beat again now 
I, I see O'Neill. I apparently I was I don't recall him saying it while I was there, uh, but apparently he has said somewhere on radio I think mm. um, that we would have qualified anyway if it was uh, if it was only two places. I, I I don't quite know how that works. Uh, perhaps there would have been a greater sense of urgency, and certainly our improvement our our improvement kind of tied in with the point at which it became really backs to the wall here. You know, mm. we we can no longer afford to lose games. We have to win games. We beat Germany. Uh, we do very well in the playoffs, and and. I give enormous credit to him for that, but the reality is that you know, as uh, if you take things uh, you know at face value, we would have missed out. Whereas Trapattoni got us to a playoff when it was second place, and, and he got us to a tournament. Um, but what I would say about Trapattoni's football was that it left you in the situation we were in in Poland, which is that you know, if you do go into a game against uh, Croatia and you're hoping to be hard to beat and you're hoping to maybe nick something. Uh, then if it doesn't work out, if you lose the game, then you're in a lot of trouble uh, playing better teams uh, where where not losing is no longer the, the target. Um, and O'Neill has shown that he can inspire more than that. That, you know, OK, Germany more or less hammered us in terms of run of play and chances created and just about every other, you know, measure. Um, but we did beat them and we deserved to beat them. You know, it yeah. wasn't a fluke. Um, uh, they missed their chances and that's their problem. Uh, we took ours. Um Against Bosnia, it was very professional of the two legs. We go there, we defend, uh, we get the result, a very good result for us, and then we come back and we beat them. And again, we deserve to win. So, you know, with O'Neill in that in, in this situation, I, I agree. I, I think that the team, you, you would go there with, with a lot of hope, if not some confidence, that we will have one big day and that might be enough to get us through. Michael O'Neill made a point about the group that they're in, uh, maybe clutching at straws. Yeah. But he was saying that, look, the one thing we can guarantee is our team spirit. And I've, he fe- felt that that is unbreakable and that that will carry them through. That they'll certainly turn up and um, do yeah. themselves credit. Whereas the teams they're playing against, this is probably not true in the case of Germany because they've got so many star players. But yeah. certainly with Poland, it's a fair point that they're, they've got one superstar. Yeah. In some cases, one or two superstars. So if that person, if that one player doesn't yeah. play, then you've got a chance. If you put that in that sort of train of thought into our group yeah. and the game against Sweden, is there any hope that Zlatan, who scored 11 goals in 10 games, might actually underperform? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is. I mean, he had a poor start to the season. He was carrying an injury um, at PSG and he, he didn't do so well. He's he's hit, he's he's kind of hit the ground running now. Like, he's, he's, he's recovering ground. He scored a couple of goals last night. Um, he's in great form. He, he did very well through the campaign, but, you know, you talk to Swedish journalists, they say when when, when he doesn't perform, the team, you know, isn't as good. Uh, I, 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 I listened with some kind of amusement as, um, as a Belgian journalist rather kind of boldly uh, put it to the Swedish manager that, you know, you've got one player We've got a team, and uh, and, 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 and I, I thought the Belgians, Belgians sound great. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, 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 it's yeah. Europe's <laughs> most boring country finally steps out into the absolutely. Into yeah, the yeah. They've been they've been waiting a long time for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I I hope it goes their way. There's going to be a lot of people in a queue to uh, to rub their noses in it. But um, yeah, yeah. He uh, Hammerin uh, handled himself. I thought uh, with some dignity well, uh, in the yeah. face of a question that uh, I don't think uh, O'Neill or God forbid Roy Keane would have uh, coped with. Quite so well, but um, but absolutely there is that. I, I, I think that logic absolutely holds. If 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 Slatan turns you know uh, turns up and plays poorly, or if he's injured going into the tournament, which he's thirty four years old, you know, and he's going to uh, uh, come off the back of a long season with a lot of games at, at PSG where he's very important to what they do. Um, then uh, then absolutely. I mean, uh, look, I mean, I don't want to be kind of, I don't want to insult the, the Swedes in the same way that the Swedes Swedes uh, per Nielsen and you know and certainly the Belgians are insulting us, but. Um, but there's certainly nothing in the rest of the, that Swedish squad that would keep you awake at night. Um, they're coming off, I mean, they're under 21s, have, have won the European Championships and a couple of the really brightest players there will be in the squad for sure. Whether they're in the team or whether they are really ready to make that step up, we don't know. But otherwise, there's no doubt no doubt about this. You know, this is, it is a Zlatan Ibrahimovic and a, and a, and a supporting cast of, 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 of kind of varying strengths. And even those, even the supporting casts don't, deny that you can see it in how they for interact for the most part with, yeah. with Zlatan. well maybe behind the scenes it's different but I wouldn't they, they, say Zlatan allows any interaction that, that isn't uh, <laughs> firmly based on that sort of yeah, it's, yeah it certainly seems to be uh, certainly that's the way they, they flock to him when he's um, and in, in the playoffs yeah. in particular he, sure. he's this godlike figure as all the, he bows down I mean he's certainly the yeah, and they're yeah. all in, in the playoffs they, uh, uh, I mean there was no doubt who, who they had to thank yeah. for, for, for it all yeah. oh, what did you make of the Northern Ireland draw by the way Poland, Ukraine, Germany oh, it's, it's a nightmare yeah yeah it's absolutely a nightmare it's the one that it's the one that kind of puts ours in 
in some sort of context, you know, like uh, is it, it is it that much worse? I, mean, I think obviously, obviously, obviously I think Germany, it's worse. I think getting Italy at the end, I, I, like at the time, I thought it was unfolding reasonably well for us. Yeah, uh, I mean Belgium, as we say, I don't think we're the worst uh, uh, top seeds, and the Swedes, I don't think certainly we're the worst uh, third seeds. But I- Italy, you know, O'Neill made this point again and again. Uh, Martin, that is in the uh, mix zone afterwards, that that you know. Italy you would think of as a top seed and uh, and, and we, we've been unlucky to get them again I think that really kind of um, that, that, that kind of uh, put a, 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 a far harsher complexion on ours but yeah absolutely I think you go back to what Martin O'Neill kept saying through, through uh, the campaign and going back to Nice when the draw was made there the Germans will just get through you know um, I don't think there's any, any question of that and they don't tend to let up I know we beat them in, in Anson Road but uh, if you go you know that, the, you know, the history of their, of their results they, they tend not to um, ease up on teams in the third game if they have qualified both of those other games for the, for them though are are sort of I mean they have they have historical context to them you know um, Poland obviously uh, who beat them in the qualifiers as well did they beat them in the, they did beat them at home didn't they yeah and um, and Ukraine I can only imagine there's going to be a bit of history there or you know uh, again the, the old motivational stuff in the dressing room won't, won't be too hard to imagine so they're, they're, they ha- they will have an edge to them the, the, the Ukrainians have have um, a couple of really good players again they were a couple of really standout players and a decent squad um so yeah I, I think the Germans could be going into the last game still needing something certainly to win the group um uh it's I think it's gonna be very good and you talked about the 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 um you talked about the 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 north and they they their how they are team Michael O'Neill talked yeah. about uh, team spirit his, I think po- team his spirit point was gets... like, his point was that Kyle Lafferty has scored a lot of goals for them but when Lafferty missed a couple of key games it didn't well, affect specific, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Kyle Lafferty scored seven goals, I think, in nine games, which is which, which is, great, is yeah. which is a standing return. Uh, Michael O'Neill also said it was a very tough group, which I, I you know, I think the qualifying Michael, group, the qualifying group, yeah, which, which I, which I, massively. which I think, <laughs> you know, I don't think anyone expected Greece to implode quite the way they did. I mean, you could argue that they were kind of overhyped to start with, and why they were, I think they were the top seeds in the group. Um, uh, they weren't great. The hung, Hungarians weren't weren't brilliant. The Finns are. I, I think it was a fairly soft group, really. Uh, that's not to take too much away from Northern Ireland. They did exceptionally well to win the group. Um, but Kyle Lafferty, if, if you're talking about Kyle Lafferty being your exceptional player, the one that you know you survived the loss of in a qualifying game, and the qualifying game they lost him for was Greece at home. Um, right. By which stage Greece were absolutely all over the shop. Um, then yeah, I, I I I think you're probably you know putting a, 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 a fairly positive spin on it. All right, well just stay with us, Evan, if you don't mind, because sure. we are going to come back to this after we chat to Tony Barrett about. Liverpool's draw at home to West Brom, Tony, which was treated like a bit more than that by Jurgen Klopp. He seemed to treat the result like it was a very big deal. Yeah, he did. It's, it's, if you look at the, the celebration in isolation and you look at uh, Klopp's reactions to the result, uh, and it, it does seem a bit incongruous with, with the game, with the result, with the performance, but Klopp's involved in something bigger than that at the minute. Klopp's identified a, a massive disconnect between Liverpool, the team, and Liverpool, the fans. Uh, and he, he spoke about it after the Crystal Palace game, and Scott Dan scored with eight minutes remaining, and, and plenty of fans left the ground because clearly he didn't believe Liverpool could score. He didn't think Liverpool had the bottle to go and score an equaliser. And he said at the time he, he felt pretty alone then, and, and you could see yesterday that the fans responded to going behind instead of walking out and giving up. They responded and got behind the team. So that, that was a, a major victory for Klopp in, in his, his quest to turn doubters into believers, as he calls it. It's all very, very religious, uh, and 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 that at the end, it's, listen, it's it's not what we're used to in English football by any means, and you could see how sheepish the players looked as they stood in front of the cop and and taking the claim after the two-two home draw. But it, it, this is him; he is trying to foster that relationship between players and fans because it was it, it's been broken at Anfield and probably at Anfield more so than than other places, and and that has had a. A negative effect on the team and how they perform, and 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 on results too. And he's trying to restore that bond, and it's no small task. And he he knows he'll get criticism. He knows there'll be people outside and inside the club who who wonder what he was doing yesterday. But I think he's willing to take that on the chin. And to be fair, he doesn't care what anyone thinks. Did it work in the short term? Did the fans seem to respond? Yeah, they did. There was a spell in the second half where, where, where people sang, and, and at Anfield, I know that's taken as a given uh, in terms of tradition and the, and the, the stadium's legend and the, the, the Liverpool supporters' reputation, but it hasn't been like that for some time, especially when Liverpool aren't playing well, especially when uh, the game isn't going well. And, and in, the, in the, the 60s, 
and seventies when Liverpool went behind the supporters would get behind the team, but but that's been lost a little bit with that with that loss of belief. And when they went behind yesterday, the fans really rallied behind the team. And and this was Klopp. Klopp said it was the best atmosphere that he'd, he'd experienced since coming to England, and, and he was right in that. Uh, and, and what, what he's trying to do is he, he's trying to create an environment where people buy into exactly what he's saying because he believes that fans and players together do, will make Liverpool a much more difficult proposition. But it, it's a tall order because the, the fan base has changed. It's a different fan base. Football has changed. Uh, but, but he'll certainly take that as, as a sign of progress. What happened yesterday, he, he will be happy with that. It's funny because I think part of what created that atmosphere was West Brom's approach, which is precisely what he criticised pretty heavily afterwards. He seemed disgusted with the robust nature of some of the tackling, particularly the Craig Gardner tackle uh, on, on Lovren, which left him injured and had him taken from the field. But it seemed like that that, that blood and guts display by West Brom is actually exactly what create, helps to create an atmosphere like that. Yet Rodgers seemed pretty, well, more than more than a little bit, sorry, Rodgers, uh, Klopp seemed more than a little bit annoyed with Tony Pulis and the West Brom team after. Yeah, he did, but I, I got a feeling that there was an element of theatre to all of that. I, th- I think he wanted to look aggrieved. I think he wanted to look angry, and a lot of it is is, is absolutely natural. The, the reaction to the Gardner tackle was natural. It was a bad tackle. It was, and I know on match today the the, the exonerated Gardner, but it looked a bad tackle. The follow through is would certainly tick the excess, excessive force box. And yeah, he got the it, ball was the main argument, but I think nowadays the, there's usually a little more to these debates than that. He did, he did exactly. get the ball, but his leg followed through pretty high up on the the, sh- the knee of the opposing player. He did. Listen, I'm, I'm a bit of, a bit of a Neanderthal on these things. I, I like the way football used to be played, <laughs> where, where you could leave a bit in, and, and that does make, make me a Neanderthal. I accept that, and, and that was the type of tackle that Gardens was under the the modern laws of the game and the way the game's refereed, you would expect the referee to get involved in that situation. But I, th- I thought in the main, though, I thought West Brom's physicality was overplayed. They're allowed, they're, there was no bookings in the game. It wasn't a dirty football match. Uh, but, but what Klopp did was he, he tuned into the to, uh, West Brom's physicality and made, made it a growing issue throughout the game. His reactions were very demonstrative. He had numerous confrontations with the uh, West Brom bench, with Tony Pulis in particular. And you could just see him getting himself wound up and the crowd going with him. And I'm, I'm not having that this is by accident. I don't think Jürgen Klopp, uh, who's, who's a big lad who likes physical football himself, I don't think he would, in, in the cold light of day, would say that West Brom were, were too physical with a dirty team. They were very competitive, and they were physical, there's no question about that. And there was one instance when you would say, yeah, they probably did cross the line. But in the main, it was just a really fierce, competitive game of football. But Klopp, by tapping into that, Klopp took the crowd with him in a way that I don't think I've seen a manager do that before. It, and it is really interesting to watch when you see supporters who've, who've been sat there uh, meek and mild for, for 18 mm-hmm. months and, and not getting involved in anything, all of a sudden becoming furious on behalf of their manager. And by going with them, they then go with their team. And you could see the reaction. And it, it, it was one of those where you, you think Liverpool's equaliser and the possibility that he could have even won the match comes down to the fact that the manager's galvanised a, a, a supporter base that had previously been meek, and that is the big difference, and that's where you have to put in the con- put the post-match show in front of the cop into, into its context. He is trying to take supporters with him. He wants them to believe in everything he does and everything the team does, and this is probably the first step in that direction. I'm interested, Tony, in your analysis of that, that how calculated you feel all this behaviour was, because it looked like, just crazy ranting and raving on the sideline. I'm, I'm, in, I'm reading, I've just finished reading Michael Calvin's book about football managers living on the volcano. And quite a few times during that, he's got behind the scenes access to managers and he see, witnesses a couple of times where they're doing the full throwing the teacup treatment, punching walls, bre- breaking their own fists on walls and afterwards explaining to him, oh no, no, that was all calculated, you know, the reason, and then giving them the, these deep psychological reasons as to why they looked like they were going off their rocker. Uh, you, ge- you genuinely do think that he was in full control of his emotions at all those moments? I don't think at all moments, no. And I think there were times when he was to- taken over by his, his anger and his frustration and everything else. But I think there was other, t- other things that were calculated and he, he knows he, he knows that he's being watched. He knows that there's a cult of personality surrounding him. He knows that the Liverpool supporters are absolutely enthralled to him. And he, he is using that. There's no question about that. The, the, the day before the game, he, he, he did his press conference. And he said, I want this to be the best am- atmosphere Anfield's seen in 10 years. And I was thinking, it's West Brom home on a Sunday in December. Good luck with that. Uh, but he does believe that that can happen. But 
he knows he has to play a role for that to happen. And this is what we're seeing. He's not just a manager who's going to pick the team and send them out and make tactical adjustments. He involves himself in the game by being the prism through which many supporters will watch that game. And, and that, that is something which makes him different. It is authentic. Some of it is natural. Some of it is him playing the role. But it is very authentic, and that is why people are buying into it. There are other managers who, if they try to do similar, will be laughed out of town. There's no question about that. But because of the cult of personality that surrounds Klopp, which he knows exists, he's able to use that to his advantage, and that was what he suggested. It's intriguing to watch it. I, I think at some point someone will end up sending a journalist just to watch Klopp from the press box. Forget the match, just watch Klopp and what he does. And that will form the basis for whatever story people write, because it is, it's absolutely intriguing to watch. You say you described yourself as a Neanderthal in certain aspects of the game. I say you would have liked Tony uh, Divigorigi dusting himself off as soon as he's failed and marching on to have. I, I, it does seem that this this is getting into very much uh, just giving out about modern football. But uh, whatever about diving and all those sort of issues that people have, the bigger issue is when a player wins a free. It almost seems like a. It's an end in itself, and they, they nearly celebrate the fact, whereas a lot of times there is a benefit to actually playing through that, as Origi showed. Maybe it's only when you're desperate enough with a couple of minutes to go that you have to try to score. Well, I, I, that, that, that might take totally. I also think defences are set. When defenders are set, you have to do something different. They, 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 they're well organised. They know what they're doing. They, they think they know what you're going to do. So in that situation, Origi goes past his man, and, he, and the minute he's brought down... Even if it's just for a fleeting second, every single player on the ground, including the players in the pitch, including the West Brom defenders, expect him to stay down. And Liverpool then take a free kick, which means West Brom will organise again. But he acts in a way that is, is abnormal now in the English game. He got up and dusted himself down, straight away carried on. And that meant West Brom were, were caused on the hop a little bit. Now, you can't say that that is automatically caused at the goal, because it's a big deflection or the rest of it. But I just think that, that power to surprise that comes from a player be, being willing to play on. I think if you're willing to do that as a player, you will gain much more than you lose. How many free kicks do we see in the, in the last couple of minutes of the game that just get floated into the box? But defenders set, they practice them over and over again and able to clear. By playing on, Origi was able to stay in control of the ball, in control of himself, and was able to get a shot off. And I just think that power is given up far too easily in the English game. That was... To be honest with you, that was the theme of the game for me. I know a lot of people complained about the way West Brom play, played. I didn't see it like that. I, I, don't, I don't mind match reports around the Sunday League theme, and that, that wasn't meant as an insult. It was that this game was a throwback. This was a proper football match. This was a proper football match with passion, with physicality, with players being determined to win, and not looking to win cheap free kicks. They just wanted to play the game, and they wanted to win the game. And the supporters got wrapped up, in them. and for me, that made it such a such a thrilling spectacle. And I think I think people should enjoy that game for what it what it was, rather than look to, to pick holes. Tony, how dangerous does Origi look? Uh, you're, you're getting an up close look at quite a few of the Belgian strikers, actually, and attacking players uh, being on Merseyside. They were interested in this now, having been drawn against them for the Euros. Is Origi the, the, the wild card out of those guys? Well, two months ago, you wouldn't have said so. You would have looked at Divock Origi, and he didn't know when to run and where to run. And he was so raw. He was, you could see he was quick. You could see he had stamina. You could see he was a willing runner, but he just didn't know when and where to go, as I say. And you look at him now and, and the Southampton game where he scores his hat-trick, obviously the finishing will be what catches people's eye. For me, it was the movement. It was, it was real, intelligent, good centre-forward movement. And it was the type of movement that creates space for others, not just himself. And that is the exact contrast to, to Christian Benteke whose movement is so static, it's untrue. And Liverpool have tried to adapt their game to, to suit Benteke because he, he doesn't run in behind, he doesn't press. Uh, so Liverpool have tried to become a little bit more of a, a team that crosses the ball. And I think yesterday the, the stats were 29 crosses, which will be the most Liverpool have had in a long time. Uh, but, but it wasn't effective because Benteke's movement means it, it's not effective. Whereas Rigi is willing to go that wide, he's willing to link plays, willing to get on the ball, he's, he's willing to, to get crosses into the box, he's, he's willing to shoot from distance. He does all these things that, that don't come naturally to, to Benteke. And at the minute, at the, and I, I stress at the minute, he looks a more natural suit and a more natural fit to the way that Jürgen Klopp wants Liverpool to play than Benteke does. The, the, the compromising factor in that is obviously that Benteke costs 32 million and so probably needs to play, but, but obviously that's mitigated by the fact that it wasn't Klopp that paid that 32 million, so he can feel free to probably <laughs> use him as he f- sees fit. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, Tony, great to talk to you as always. Thanks a million. Cheers, good to speak to you, gents. Chief, you don't get this out with Motherwell. You're a wee, mate.
Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big teddy boots here in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, take no beat, take no, take no, take no beat. Just what's up, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight, you don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans, just need to fucking work, wouldn't it? You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip! He's your biggest fool. Now, Murph, is any of your confidence in the uh, lack of quality in the Belgian side being um, eroded at uh, all? Listen, they can, they can only play 11 of them. Uh, they can only play one of their three uh, yeah, potentially exactly. brilliant strikers. Well, they, they could have. probably play all three. I mean, they could Luka- probably find room, but I mean... Lukaku's obviously the other one that I was, yeah, that I was hinting at there on Merseyside, side, who's, who's the, the real informed guy who you'd yeah. be worried about. But when we're considering Benteke as almost a write-off in some ways, a guy who just costs over 30 million and has the power that he has, and then Origi... A little bit of a wild card. Yeah. Uh, this, this, I'm, I'm getting scared now again. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe we should all kind of just uh, concede that the Belgians know what they're talking uh, about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No and we're, in, and we're in deep, deep trouble. Look at all our strikers! Scream the Belgian journalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look. I mean, yeah. And that's but, 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 before you get into a supporting cast of De Bruyne and uh, and Hazard and mm-hmm. who create a lot of chances. I mean, it's interesting to hear Tony say there about them having you know uh, Liverpool adapting their game and crossing the ball a lot. Well, you know, uh, the, the the Belgians um, have some width certainly to the team, but um, De Bruyne and Hazard really aren't. You know, players who you'd be expecting to get down the line sure, and, yeah. and whip it in. Um, so that's and, and they were there actually for all the strikers they had. De Bruyne and Hazard were their top scorers in qualifying with five goals each. It wasn't any of the strikers. It looks to me like they're they're crippled by indecision. As yeah, best to deploy their many brilliant world class players. I, I like the cut of your half gla- glass half fullness. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Just, he's woken up on the right side of yeah, bed. Well. But the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the issue the issue with Belgium, I think, that is making us feel a little bit better. There's an immediate when, when a team is ranked number one in the world when they're clearly not the best team in the world haven't proven themselves to be the best team in the world. Sure. There's an immediate reaction to that. Everyone's looking at it and going, "Of course, this this team hasn't proved themselves to be the best in the world." So you're looking for you're immediately picking holes in them. Whereas if they were ranked eight, yeah. even you'd be thinking, "Well, they they deserve to be ranked a little bit higher than that." Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I I definitely think that you 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 immediately when you you look at them, you're you're trying to figure out how they are up there, and it's hard. It is hard to see they haven't come through the uh, the group unbeaten. They haven't, you know, won a tournament. Um, it's I think it's one of those kind of oddities. I mean, the FIFA World Ranking isn't quite the joke that it used to be. Um, no, uh, uh, where it used to be completely kind of mad anomalies. But um, but I, I think this is one of these things where where you know you you can get into the you have to get into the finer mechanics of of the the ranking system the the points that are allocated for various things to really figure out why Belgium are up there. But they have a tremendous group of players, there's no doubt about that, and they're strong in, 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 every, in every department, like from the goalkeeper right through. So, um, yeah, they look, they're, they're, they're a good side. If it clicks for them, then, then everyone else will, will, will have to take them very seriously. What about the broader question of the security around the tournaments? Did you get any sense in your trip to, short trip to Certainly Paris? Certainly a sense that, uh, that, that, that things are a little bit tense over there. I, I, I was hanging out with some friends who live in the city uh, a little bit, and uh, they were saying that things were actually, that this week or the, the week just gone by was probably the first week that they felt it was sort of back to normal. Really? Well, it might have felt that way to the locals, but it certainly didn't feel that way to visitors. I mean, it's the new normal. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Around the tournament, uh, the the draw itself, obviously there was going to be a lot of security, and and, and there was. Uh, but you know, going into shops, you're 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 routinely searched in a, in a lot of shops. Um, we went out on the Friday night, and there was security going into a couple of the bars, like up to and including kind of you know these handheld metal detector type things, or mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, at the airport. There's there's a lot of open, uh, heavily armed um, um, army and, and police. Uh, so so certainly, yeah, there, there's there's very strong evidence that that things um, have been cranked up over there. Uh, I was at a press conference on Friday morning with the um, deputy mayor of uh, of Paris, who's responsible for sport and tourism, and uh, they were talking about some of the measures that the, that the city will be taking in terms of their public events, which which would include the fan zone, which is um, <coughs> excuse me, a capacity of 120,000 
thousand people, which would seem in in many ways, you know, a, an even more obvious target for yeah, something the, than, than the, the game the biggest itself. Biggest big screen in Europe, absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah, there and, all that. and it sounds tremendous. I mean, there's this slightly comical aspect to it. There, they were talking about like on the one hand, he's a politician, so he's talking about like every you know all the things, the resources are going to be thrown at this. But on the other hand, like talking that that the city aren't being profligate with the with public money, and so he's saying like that um, that all the security measures, all, all you know, all, everything is going to be paid for out of the vendors' uh, profits, which mm-hmm. are based on drinks. He's going to go well. You know, obviously, if it's if it's hot and everyone's drinking a lot, then that won't be a problem. But anyway, the, the risk isn't on the city, and you're thinking like, hmm, this isn't this isn't yeah, so great, you know. Yeah. Like, I hope it's not cloudy in June. Um, <laughs> but uh, but he was talking about 350 um, uh, private security people inside. Um, uh, inside the the uh, no, sorry, this was the the fan zone. Oh, the fan uh, zone. Sorry. Hundreds of of public security, police, and army outside it, uh, and you know an intelligence gathering system that's that well it starts you know in 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 far more far flung places, but certainly extends to the local public transport system. I mean that's all very well. I, I mean you know I, I absolutely I, I do believe that the French will do absolutely everything that might be considered reasonable because they'll be terrified of of, of being mm. accused of not having done enough if 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 something does go wrong. But I'm still not quite sure how you successfully counter this. Um, if 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 somebody is is you know bananas enough to really want to take out a lot of people and 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 are happy enough to go themselves in the process then it seems to me that from the point they leave their their apartment or whatever it's really question of of where it happens and and whether it happens inside a fan zone which or a stadium where a great many people could be killed then obviously that's you know that 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 would be a catastrophe but so too would a crowded train uh, if 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 they're spotted at that stage yeah. so it, or or a security check where i mean like i i've been at a lot of these tournaments and i've talked to a lot of people down the years about the previous thing was touting like the guy you know uh, god be with the days when 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 the greatest thing we had you know the greatest concern we had about security outside stadiums or 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 hooliganism but particularly touting that the whole thing was that um, every tournament they would sell the tickets to the fans and they would say you know we'll do identity checks outside so don't sell the tickets and you know or don't buy from touts or whatever and without I mean I remember talking to a FIFA guy in Japan six months before the tournament there and this had been plastered all over the tickets and this is what they were going to do and then you just ask him privately so you know how are you going to do these you got to ask people to turn up with their pass and they go nah nah it's ridiculous you couldn't do it you know the delays would be incredible um, well here the the, 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 uh, the delays you would imagine the type of tests, uh, uh, you know, security checks being done will be of a far higher and far more important nature than that. Um, the delays could be very extensive, but the fear also would be that ultimately, if there is an attack, it, as I say, it takes its toll, you know, in, on public transport or are at the security um, checks outside, which is which is what we see happening in Iraq all the time, you know. Um, um, people attacks actually, uh, bombs being detonated uh, at the point at which people are being screened. So, you know, obviously I don't want to, you know, be alarmist here or whatever, but it is a concern. It is a concern. And I was talking to people over the weekend and and um, and, and certainly, there were, you know, I, I was talking to people over the weekend about going to the tournament and and I, and I wouldn't be afraid to go to the tournament and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about going to the tournament uh, and I would never, uh, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't cross my mind not to go to the tournament, but I'm not sure I'd bring my kids to the tournament. Right. That's, that's the sort of level of concern you'd have. I I th- I think this is something where you have to you know I you know you have to look at this and go w- what we've seen so far in terms of uh, uh, of of these groups and Paris um, they've uh, they've they, there have been two major attacks you, you you would think that if you were them uh, uh, 20, 20, Euro twenty sixteen is 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 a very obvious target yeah, and football's already been targeted absolutely you know? yeah uh, is it a stupid point to make that possibly because this has already happened and that football was a part of that horrific tragedy yeah. th- that actually th- that if anything well it certainly will we, we talk about the in- increased security everybody's on high alert thereby possibly decreasing the chances of something happening I, that's a little I, bit I, I, you know look I mean uh, there's a lot of stand-up comedians these days doing a kind of trade in you know um, you know harking back to the IRA and the and, and, and the and, and, and the guys who phoned in uh, um, uh, warnings beforehand and you know all this sort of stuff you know I, I mean the reality is uh, as I say I think with, 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 with the nature of the threat here um, vigilance gets you so far um, if people are determined uh, actually you know that it's part of the goal 
to to die themselves in these attacks. I, I, I think that makes the situation almost impossible in terms of preventing incidents completely. I, I don't really quite see how you do that, other than with intelligence and arresting them before it starts. But I, I mean, the, even that, I mean, the, the nature of the threat, the nature of, of the, the new, you know, new recruits to these movements, the fact that in almost every instance, there have been people involved who have not previously come to the attention of the security forces. Uh, and, and the balance, which I absolutely understand, as somebody who was Irish and lived in London at the time that there were bombings over there, um, the balance that has to be achieved of not kind of completely going down the, the route of racially profiling people and then harassing everybody who yeah. you think might yeah. be in, in any way a suspect. I mean, I had nights in London where I sat in with friends and we didn't watch TV and um, uh, we just sat around talking or having a few drinks or whatever. And we thought at some point, if a bomb went off tonight and we happened to be on somebody's list, uh, some security list, and they came and they interviewed us and, and, and we couldn't even tell them what we watched on television, um, then then you, you suddenly find yourself in a very difficult situation. And the French are in a position now, and in, an unenviable position, where they are faced with, 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 you know, on the one hand, wanting to throw um, the kitchen sink at the security situation, and on the other hand, being caught in a situation where they could very easily um, further alienate uh, elements of their, of their Muslim population by being far too heavy-handed about it. So, I, I, you know, I, 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 I feel for them, really. It's a very difficult situation, and it's... Um, it, it, they, 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 you know, I mean, the concern was obvious when, when, when the deputy mayor of, of, of Paris was talking about it, when, when you see the interviews with politicians over there, they desperately want this tournament to go off without, without, um, uh, without an incident, um, but, but for exactly the same reasons that the, that the people who might target it will, will be tempted to do so. Yeah. Uh, like, have you come across a lot of people who have said they won't go to this tournament? No. I haven't either. No. And I mean, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people uh, around our age, younger yeah. older, whatever, guys with families, guys, single guys, whatever. No one has actually said to me, I'm, ju- I'm just not going to do it. No, 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 I haven't. And maybe it'll be the expense or, you know, uh, that will take its toll. Uh, I think, uh, absolutely. And maybe, maybe for the most part, it, it will be unaffected numbers-wise. I find it difficult to believe it's not a consideration, particularly for families with kids. If you bring kids into, into a game, I mean, you just, parents look at these things in a different way. It's, you know, uh, you, you kind of, uh, uh, you, it's fair enough to, be, uh, to, yeah. to show a little bravado where, you, where, where your own safety is concerned. Mm. Uh, also in those situations where, you know, you would be looking after a kid in a situation where there was something, and I don't mean even like even scares or whatever. Like you know, I you know e- even if nothing happens, uh, as hopefully nothing will mm-hmm. through the tournament. If there are incidents of 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 scares uh, through the tournament, warnings or you know high security alerts, then having kids with you, particularly younger kids, I- I- in itself becomes quite a concern and uh, certainly a less a less joyable, less relaxed uh, experience. And these and these tournaments are supposed to be joyful and you know um, celebratory and and and. It, even if you're going around the place worried about your 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 or or just being mindful in a way that you wouldn't have been normally, which which obviously would be the case here, um, then it just takes a little bit of the enjoyment off it. So I don't know, but I, I, yeah, absolutely, Murphy. I, I I haven't nobody nobody has said to me yet that 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 they wouldn't go on that basis. Um, I think and a great deal. I mean, people move on very quickly, and the 13th of October will seem very very distant by next April or May um, when people perhaps are still making final decisions on it all. Yeah, I don't think it's alarmist though to talk about it. In, in the way they are, I think it's uh, completely fair yeah, enough. I, I, yeah, I hope not. I mean, I don't, you know, yeah. but I, 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 you know, I don't mean to go on about it. And, and no, but, no. but it's, 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 uh, it, no, it's, 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 it's going to be hanging over the whole thing, even exactly, though people exactly. will will move on before then. Yeah, but and and in, and in previous years, it was, you know, I, I was thinking um, uh, France '98 was the first tournament I, I worked at, and um, uh, and there it was like, you know. Crazy with the English fans and um, and fans from a couple of other countries in, in in particular instances, but the English in particular. I mean, I spent a lot of a good chunk of that tournament uh, traveling around uh, uh, to with then towards the south with uh, English fans, and it was nuts, you know. Um, and uh, and and it somehow seems quaint that that was the greatest concern you yeah. had. All right, Emma Brennan, so thank you, thank you. And Randolph sends it long. That's his tight outside. Shane Long's in behind the defence. Shane Long against Moyer.
We might just go back to the Tony Barrett chat there, Murph, about Klopp, because obviously we are talking a lot about the Euro 2016 draw, but Tony was illuminating as ever anytime we get him on the show. Um, he makes you think about things in a certain way, and I hadn't necessarily thought uh, to, to that extent about what Klopp was doing. I was more focused on the fact that he, in his interview afterwards, was talking about, oh, well, they can play a long ball game if they want, but no team is going to come here and play long ball. And he was frothing at the mouth at various times with Pulis. But I didn't, I hadn't thought of it as all pretty much or quite a lot of it as part of this design strategy to get the fans on board. Not only communing with them at the end as he did, mm. but this entire... Is it really that important in modern day football to have the fans foaming at the mouth for every home game? I think if you're, if, if you're winning, if results are going well, then having the fans hepped up is a pretty good result because it makes the atmosphere more intimidating but the results haven't been good enough to to suggest that right I'm going to get the fans riled up here and then our team is going to fail to meet the the renewed expectations of these of these fans I mean I I'd, I'm not really seeing it like that I mean I would be certainly feeling my way into the job a little bit more than Jurgen Klopp is doing but I so I, yeah and I like it. I, I, yeah. I don't, don't get me wrong I'm, I so far I just think anything Klopp does is hilarious. Yeah, he could start getting really annoying. I think other managers are going to really start disliking him. Tony Pulis bit his lip afterwards. And, he did, and, I was kind of surprised by yeah, that. Yeah, he did yeah. quite well actually. Pulis uh, in that in that interview afterwards, I can imagine quite a few. He's quite a few managers getting infuriated by the way Klopp goes on because it's fair enough for if Klopp does want to justify all this as part of an overall psychological plan to have his players and his fans believe in him that doesn't stop the fact that if you're a manager standing beside him this guy's acting like an idiot yeah <laughs> which nobody likes to be sitting beside an idiot Murph no 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 it's true God, who you tell it you know uh, but no it's um uh yeah, well, is he acting like an idiot, or is he? Well, I suppose he is acting a bit like an idiot. An hilarious idiot at, at the moment. I'm not. Yeah, you know, of course he isn't one. This yeah, is the point. But we'll uh, get back to the Euros because I just want to put something Stephen Hunt said to you, Murph. Go on. This is to further. I, I don't seem to have crushed your spirit yet over the course of this podcast, despite okay. giving you various reasons why this is a terrible draw. Stephen Hunt made the point to us actually when we were talking to him a few years back that he, the night before the draw was made for Euro 2012, we want to play the best teams. And he believed that. Yep. He, was, he was thinking, if we're going over there, might as well play the very best teams. And that's the whole point of qualifying for a tournament, that you get to test yourselves against the best. He wrote a piece recently in the Sunday Independent where he said, yeah, no, if I was playing again now, I'd maybe revise that somewhat. I think you just want to play whatever. You want to have a positive experience of that tournament and being drawn against the very top teams isn't necessarily the way. But Hunt has actually been, I think, the most revealing player by a mile about Euro 2012 and what went wrong there. Another really detailed article about the boredom of life under Trapattoni for that length of time, the tedium around the days. A couple of the other players he had issues with for being a little bit, taking their mind off the job, he felt mm. a little bit. He's the one guy I think who's probably actually illuminated Euro 2012 a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, in the Duff article in uh, the Second Captain's uh, Sports Angle Volume 1, available now, yeah. but, uh, but Ken sat down with Duffer for like an hour and a half and wrote this brilliant piece uh, that's in the book, and he actually talks about Hunt uh, at the end of Euro 2012. So this is basically what uh, Duffer says. Um, I gave Hunt, like if one man deserved an appearance at the Euros, it was him. This is Damien Duff speaking at the end of his 100th cap, uh, the game against Italy, mm. uh, the last game in the group stages in Euro 2012. I remember going up to him and giving uh, him, Hunty, a big, a big hug and a kiss afterwards. I said to him, listen, sorry you didn't get on. If there was one man, it should have been you. And he broke down in tears. I was like, okay, I wasn't looking for that reaction. But, when, uh, but listen, when Hunty first got in the squad, I was like, you're a pain in the hole. You're this, you're that, chirping up about me. But now he'd be a good friend of mine. I love him to pieces because he just says it how it is, which is an admirable quality. I love him. He's a hell of a guy. Mm. Uh, and it's mad. Like th- these tournaments are huge, huge events in players' lives. And oh the, yeah. And like, the less successful a player is at uh, club level, and they're the guys that we have. We don't have guys that are competing for the uh, for the league or for playing in the Champions League every year. These tournaments are the highlight of their careers. And and, and like that story that Duff tells about uh, Stephen Hunt. It's lovely, book, yeah. Yeah, and and the stuff that Hunt has written uh, since Euro twenty twelve. It's like it's just blatantly painfully clear that to go to these tournaments and not perform and to go to these tournaments and really feel like you've let yourself down mm. is a crushing experience mm. like a really really crushing experience and for that reason I you know I I, I think as well that what Hunter said told us about what Traps Ireland camp was like is actually very uh, is very illuminating and 
definitely not the sort of thing that our players react all that well to, I don't think. That no. This idea that like a closed camp, everyone relax for a month and do nothing before playing a, a football tournament, it's not going to work. I think O'Neill, for better or worse, the uh, situation around the camp is more positive now. It is more unified. And as a result, that shit matters like a lot in yeah. these tournaments so you would hope that the lessons that we can take from Euro 2012 and what Stephen Hunt and Damien Duff have told us about it uh, are transferred to some extent into uh, into the, the build up for this yeah that interview is one of my favourite parts of the book which is available now on secondcaptains.com if you want to brave the weather and get to a real life bookstore you can get them in all good bookshops too um, our second show that oh before we get to Plug in the second show of the day, Murph. You would want to bring... This is the football podcast. Mm -hmm. The Champions League last 16 draw has been made. Yes. Uh, and and uh, well, Some pretty interesting ones. Not uh, tremendous news for, uh, for the English teams. Uh, we'll, we'll, start, we'll start at the top with the real... Um, this is the draw as it was made. And it started with a bang. Ghent against Wolfsburg. Mm -hmm. uh, Roma, Real Madrid. PSG against Chelsea. Uh, which is not great. Arsenal against Barcelona. Again. Juve, Bayern Munich, uh, Eindhoven, Atletico Madrid, Benfica, Zenit, and Dinamo Kiev, Manchester City. So, uh, quite a few really good games, and then quite a few really boring games. Yeah. Uh, so, not not amazing news. Arsenal against Barcelona again. That's it's a tight, great. It's a tight situation. I'm not going to say that I want to necessarily see Zlatan and Courtois clash knees. Mm. Ten minutes ago, and that would both be rupture their cruciates. Horror tackle. <laughs> but I'm just saying, if it was to happen, you would have to. You, you just you, you deal with the, the hold your hands death. up. Yeah. You know, two magnificent players. We wish them the very best. Speedy <laughs> ten to twelve months recovery exactly. period, and get back, get back in the horse. We've got Ken from Vegas in our second show today on Conor McGregor's victory and his unwavering belief in the law of attraction. Some great stuff from Ken there, and also reaction to the Champions Cup. Rugby over the weekend. It looked like it might actually be a rare good weekend for the provinces on Friday. Slowly deteriorated both Munster and Leinster, losing over the weekend. So we'll be chatting about that as well. In the meantime, thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Juan. Thanks very much for listening. And uh, yeah, just how many months to go? Just about six or seven months to go now. <laughs> We're almost <laughs> you there. Will feel. You Euro will feel. 2016, it'll fly. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those.